everybody, this is Peter and Hannah from Gordon College, and you're listening to the Outcast Podcast, where you hear stories of the cross-cultural challenges and joys that international and multicultural students experience while studying in the United States. On Outcast, we invite international and multicultural students to share their background and help bring understanding to their diverse perspectives on the world. Welcome to another episode of Outcast. Today, we are interviewing Serafina Zotter. Serafina is an Austrian Ethiopian American who was born and raised in Vienna, Austria. She is currently a senior at Gordon College, majoring in biology with a pre med concentration and minoring in neuroscience. Serafina is driven by her love for medicine, her fascination with languages, and her passion to see the healthcare sector change for the glory of God. At Gordon, she is heavily involved in research in the biology department and has served as a part of residence life and as a presidential fellow. Welcome, Sarah. Let's go. Hey, guys. So good to be here. So excited about this. Wow. I mean, right now, it's, it's we're in the cold season. We're entering it. Serafina, you're from Austria, right? Yes. So tell us, like, how cold is it compared to... So it's really interesting. The cold here is a, a lot more humid than back home. So I actually don't do so well. Right now, I'm doing great because right now it's a like a dry cold mm-hmm. and I love it. It smells like snow. <laughs> it does Already. smell like snow. Right? You're right. right. So I love that because it means skiing coming is coming ah, up soon. So yeah. I'm okay right now. When it gets a little bit of a wetter cold, I'll, yeah. I'll check out. I don't like that. Mm. Gotcha. Are you a big skier? Yes. I nice. live for skiing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's probably my favorite thing to do uh-huh. outside of, like, worship. Yeah. <laughs> so did you ski? I'm sure you skied in the Alps. Yes. For sure. Oh, yes. yeah. That's where I grew up skiing. Yeah. Um, That's the place to go, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Every year, <laughs> at least twice a year growing up, um, my grandparents lived in a, a little village mm-hmm. right outside some of the Austrian Alps. And so every winter, it's like there's no winter without skiing for my family. Mm-hmm. So it's one of my favorite things to do. Who's a better skier, you or your brother? Definitely me. Oh, Hands okay. down. He's Hands listening down. to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> he will probably agree. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've been skiing longer. Yeah. I'm more invested uh-huh. in it. So he likes jumping and tricks and all that mm-hmm. gotcha. and i like racing okay you're so i would say i'm faster and my technique is a little better and then he's a little more of a daredevil okay got it did you ever ski competitively no not really oh, okay. i did enter a couple races but there weren't super competitive like some of them were my school mm-hmm. some were like where i grew up mm-hmm. so it wasn't super competitive but i love skiing <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun <laughs> well well, since we're talking about skiing, is skiing like a sport where you do in, in schools, you know, where they participate in competition and all that? Some schools have it. So as I mentioned, my school had ski competitions, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't really have a school ski team. Okay. Um, it's just a normal a family. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I would have loved you that. You totally could in Austria, though. I would have like, loved seriously. that. I think Vienna is like just far enough away from the Alps that it's it doesn't. Okay. pay off but my dad grew up like going to school in the mornings and then skiing in the afternoons with his school mm-hmm. so mm. it depends where in austria they do okay. have like skiing as a part of their pe class sometimes mm-hmm. 
Wow. My school did that. Oh, it was really yeah. fun. We actually, <laughs> yeah. actually, let me go back on this. We went one <laughs> one time, like for two days. Uh-huh. So I didn't really count it because it wasn't like the Alps Alps. It yeah. was like yeah. near Vienna, but I guess we do it. <laughs> I guess we do it. I'm wrong. Now, your love for medicine, right? Uh, that's what you're studying now. So what got you into biology and neuroscience? What do you so, hope to do with it? Yeah, it's kind of a an arduous journey. As a kid, I wanted to do anything but medicine. Mm-hmm. I was like, everyone wants to be a doctor, so mm-hmm. I don't want to be a doctor because everyone wants to be a doctor. Who's everyone here? My peers in school. You're, okay. Like, growing gotcha. up, it was the most common response when you asked it, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. It was doctor, lawyer, like, all those stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't want to do anything like that. And then growing up, I fell in love with science. I loved my biology classes. My biology teachers were phenomenal. And then I had a couple interesting experiences family-wise and just saw the power of medicine through the losses of family members and kind of that feeling of, oh, I wish I knew what was going on so I could fix this. Then in high school, I, I interned in a pediatric clinic. And long story short, I loved it and kind of committed to medicine from there on. This was... 10th grade. And now I'm studying biology and I love biology. I love the aspect of being able to understand the micro to make the macro make sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so that's why I love it. And I still love it after four years in college. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Which is like pretty impressive after Mm. four years. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ups and downs, you know, ups and downs, but I really do love it. Cool. And I also know that you play some instruments. So could you tell us like what those are and what got you into that and maybe a little bit of what you love about worship? Yeah. So growing up in Vienna, it's not really an option not to play an instrument, Mm -hmm. um, just with the musical history of that city. So it was very normal and natural for me to start piano at five. So I was classically trained about at year four or five of doing it. I had an Australian teacher and she was like, you need to start a second instrument. Hmm. Like, <laughs> non-negotiable. If, if you want to be good at what you do, that was her policy. You need to start a, a second instrument. So I chose the violin, which is arguably one of the harder ones. Yes. <laughs> and I enjoyed it for two years and gave up. When we tried to purchase a violin, the, they're pretty pricey. And yeah. so yeah. I decided that I wasn't practicing enough for it to be worth it. But I stuck to the piano and got involved in my youth group. So I started playing more more pop or like a, mm. a, acoustic I always say the French word accompaniment <laughs> um Accompan- accompaniment accompaniment is that how you say that is that a word in English? <laughs> is that a genre what is this it's, it's like, like <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying though it's like um, like you're not the main accompany, instrument accompany instrument oh what is the right English word for that? I always say accompaniment, and okay. people look at me. Like, wait, wait. Now I'm going to look it up. Okay. Because I've never heard of it. This is such a third culture kid thing. Come, come. I don't know. I always say. With people, playing with people. Yeah. Oh, it in makes a sense. band. Accompaniment, yeah. In, in a, a word. Really? Accompaniment oh, yeah. is the musical part which provides the rhythmic and harmonic support for the melody or main themes of a song, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's what, what it what is. <laughs> Um, I now really like just playing worship and playing the piano as as accompaniment. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I've heard you play. It's beautiful. I love. Yeah, in chapel. I and love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not super confident in my skills, but it's okay. <laughs> we keep going. <laughs> what I wanted to ask was, um, do you have a favorite ostrich dish that you like to make when you're here? So the cuisine that I was exposed to in home um, wasn't really specifically Austrian. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents spent a lot of time with like Italian friends and my mom just with, you know, people from all over the world. So her cooking is Ethiopian, Indian, mm-hmm. um, Italian influenced. Um, so all the all the things that I cook to remind me from of home mm-hmm. are more that like mix. That side. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, my favorite dish is well, I'm hesitating between two. One, my mom calls yellow chicken, which is just turmeric chicken mm-hmm. with that's kind it like looks like a curry, but it's made with turmeric without curry. And the other is zucchini cream mm. pasta. That I think, if I remember correctly, my um, Italian godfather's mother came <coughs> up with the recipe. Oh, that's cool. Homemade. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no so traditional Austrian dishes, but I mm. love a schnitzel. Mm. Schnitzel. Explain schnitzel. what is yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. It's breaded veal served with potatoes. It's really good. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's like fried yes. almost. Yeah. yeah. It's like the Austrian yeah. dish. That and like like pretzels. Yeah. Well, I think pretzels, we share it with Germany. Mm, that's mm. right. But schnitzel, probably Kaiserschmann, which is like pancakes, scrambled pancakes, basically. Wow. So imagine making pancakes and then scrambled. doing what you do for scrambled eggs. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. Well, speaking of Austrian culture, could you share what are some of your favorite parts of it? So I really like within Viennese culture, like specifically Vienna, I like their fascination. This will sound bad. I like their fascination with death. They're a little morbid. Morbid. (laughs) They're a little morbid. But so they like joke about death all the time. (laughs) And they have great, great humor that's very... Very dark, very <laughs> dry humor. I really love that. I, I feel like I'm not entirely part of it, so I wouldn't be a good representative of Vienna, but I like hearing it or even reading. There's like an Instagram page that's kind of like overheard yeah. New York, but for Vienna, and it's it's hilarious because it's also in the Viennese dialect, and mm-hmm. I love the way they just make fun of hard things. Hmm. Um, so it's... That's a really cool part of Vienna, I think. Do you have, like, a specific example that comes into mind? I think during COVID, there were a lot of jokes of, like, um, I honestly, I'm not a great joke teller, so (laughs) but there's something about people being in the tram and and being like, well, it doesn't matter. We're all going to die anyways. Or mm. That's like the sentiment most of the time in Vienna. is like, it doesn't matter. We're all going to die anyways. Can I say something? Yeah. Uh, I know I've heard this. I don't know if, if this is in, in the context of that joke, but it's like I heard one of my friends say, oh, yeah, there's a grave. People are dying to go there. Oh, huh. <laughs> That's is that the same? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a little darker where it's not just like funny. It's. It's like real. It's really? real. Yeah. Like, so it's more gothic than Yeah. They're very they like complain a lot, mm-hmm. which I don't like, but I also like because it's real cuz mm. you're you're expressing how you feel. Yeah. Um so they complain a lot, but they'll make morbid, sarcastic, uh-huh. maybe even cynical jokes about it. 
Um, so you laugh about what you're complaining about. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think, I don't know. I feel like that's also, like, broader Eastern European culture in general, <laughs> too. Yeah, like, yeah. the Czech sense of humor no one understands until, like, actually yeah. experiencing it for a while. And it's yeah. also very dark and sarcastic yeah. and ironic. Yeah. We also have, like, poems and songs written about our general um, cemetery. It's, like, a monument in Vienna. So we have songs about it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think that's a really funny part of Vienna culture. Wow. Viennese culture. So, yeah, thanks for um, just sharing, like, you know, you're just who you yeah. are and all that. Um, we would like to dive into questions. and uh, uh, But before that, could you, like, give us uh, a bit more background about yourself and just give us a better picture? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Vienna, Austria. My mom is Ethiopian-American, so she grew up in Ethiopia and then went to school in America. And my dad is Austrian from a small town. Um, and I grew up in Vienna, which is the capital city. I went to a English-speaking kindergarten and then a French K-12 through school. Mm-hmm. I started in first grade, though. Oh, yeah, so it's a, it's a French school. Every class is in French. Um, it's run by, to some extent, the French um, Ministry of Education. And that's where I spent all of my schooling until high wow. school, until I graduated. So I graduated with a German, so Austrian and a French degree. Because I was mm-hmm. an Austrian, I was required to do some of the Austrian schooling. Um, and then I decided to come to the States and um, moved to Massachusetts, went to Gordon College, <laughs> and... Wow. Became a interviewee on the podcast. <laughs> <Here> you <laughs> are. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's such an amazing story. So, so you speak three different languages. Mm. Yeah. English, German, and French. Yes. And would you say that your fluency level in French is the same as like German? I would say it's pretty close. Okay. I wouldn't say it's one hundred percent the same because. Um, I don't think you can be 100% knowledgeable about a language if you didn't grow up in, one, speaking it in your home, and two, speaking it in your everyday life. But I would say I'm, I'm, I would say on a job application, I would say I'm a native speaker. I graduated mm-hmm. with a French diploma. Yeah, wow. So, wow. yeah, tell us more about what that was like, going to a French school in Austria. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. That's like a language within a language and a culture within a culture. Like, that's crazy. So tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, So my school, my school is Lycée Français de Vienne. Um, It is kind of a world within Vienna. That's a, that's a bubble. We talk about Gordon being bubble. That's Mm -hmm. was very much a bubble. Um, It technically, I went to French. uh, I went to France every morning because it was considered French territory within Vienna. It was an environment in which you spoke French in the classroom. The classes were taught in French. You were expected to speak practically only French, responding in French. The operating language was French. We did have German classes. For native speakers or for Austrian citizens, they were German language classes in the sense of literature, and we had history and geography of Austria. But then we also had English classes, and those were, like, English learning classes, like, you would have in any yeah. high school in mm-hmm. Austria. Yeah. Um, 
And that was really funny because a lot of us were international. So a lot of us spoke English. Um, so the English class ended up being like... Conversation. Yeah, yeah. a culture class, basically. So we, we learned about um, some controversial issues in the States and um, watched The Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> and things like that. So it was, it was a very relaxed class, one of my favorites. I learned biology and French. I learned physics and French. Mm-hmm. You know, school government elections were in French. Yeah. But the demographic was cool. So because this school is a school that exists around the world, a lot of the students that went there had lived in other countries and had entered that system. So it was really easy for them to transfer between countries when their parents moved. Most of my friends and most of the people I went to school with had lived in several countries Mm -hmm. before they came to Vienna. Um, And then we had a a subset of, of... the demographic that was Austrian and um, their parents had gone to that school or mm-hmm. they had some relation to the school. Mm. So was that hard for you? Like, I don't know, in my head, I feel like you're going from, again, from language to language to culture to culture. So do you speak English at home? I spoke both English and German at home. Okay, so you went from speaking English, German at home to speaking English, I mean, German outside the house. You're confused. Yeah, I am. (laughs) And then um, you had to speak French in school. So was that hard for you at all? You know, it it wasn't because that's all I grew up knowing. So my first day in school, first grade, was in French. That was a little bit of a shock. I didn't know what school looked like. I was a six-year-old, didn't know what school was, Mm -hmm. um, and didn't know the language. So that first day was very disconcerting. I was <laughs> extremely confused. But from then on, that's just what school was to me. School is in French. You know, the moment you step out of school, it's going to be German. The moment you get on the bus and get home, it's going to be English and German. And we actually developed our own language. People nicknamed it Luzianisch, which is like a German term. It's not an, an actual word. It's slang. It's a slang. <coughs> not even. It's our own like word that we put together to to call our language at the lycée, mm. which in German is Lutze, so Lutzeanisch, which is a mixture of French and German because we would just mix outside of classes. In yeah. class, we were required to speak the the language that was we were taught in, but outside of classes, everyone would mix. And with my friend circle, we would even mix English into that. Mm-hmm. So. It was very natural. I didn't really think about switching languages. Mm. And even at home, my brothers went to the same school, so we spoke in that mix of languages. And my parents, to some extent, could keep up because my dad had had French a little bit in school, and my mom just tried to understand (laughs) her context. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's not something I thought about at all. Yeah. Um, she did She did sometimes get nervous and say, stick to one language. <laughs> but I I honestly miss that a lot, being able to just switch or, or you know, have a French sentence and then add a German word in. Mm-hmm. Or even saying an English sentence mm. in English with, like, French words, yeah. syntax. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's interesting because, like, when you're able to do that, your brain doesn't have to work as hard to yes. stay in one lane. That's kind of how yeah, I, I think about it. Yeah. And so if you can, like, fill a... If you're saying a sentence in one language and then you don't know the word in English, but you know it in German. Yeah. So you just say the German word and you don't have to think about it and people right. around you understand. Right. And it's... Yeah. Yeah. I had to work pretty hard when I came to the States to stay in one language. The amount of times where I'd be like, I don't know this word in 
English mm-hmm. um, was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I've gotten really used to it. So it's, it's whatever. Yeah. I lost it. So yeah. if you don't speak English there, I don't know. It's like, it's okay. It's fine. Is it? Yeah. So the working language was in English. Like Austrians are pretty good about learning English, but the everyday language is not English. Mm-hmm. I do have a funny story. My ninth grade teacher would get so mad. She was my German teacher, and she spoke perfect English, but she wouldn't let me speak a word of English in class. So this was my German literature class. She would require me to speak only German. (laughs) And so when an English word popped in my head, Mm -hmm. she would say, no, Serafina, I'm not... I'm not going to listen to the rest of the sentence. You need to finish this in German. And this was a time in my life where German was becoming less relevant to me and and English was kind of Mm -hmm. what I connected to more. So that was really hard for me emotionally, actually, in in that class. And But she was so adamant, even though she spoke perfect English. And then the next year, I had a a teacher who was extremely Viennese, did not speak English well, (laughs) but... I would do the same thing. I would start a question in German and then switch to English inadvertently because I just didn't remember the word in German and didn't make the effort. And he would answer me in English. In his broken English, he would talk about German literature (laughs) or Austrian literature in German class to me in front of the class in English. So I think that was a very funny experience, but it did make me realize when he was speaking to me in German class in English, I kind of got, okay, Serafina, you should probably put more effort into your German and practice that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you actually anticipated my next question. And that one was just asking about those three languages slash cultures that you were experiencing. And did you ever feel disconnected from one of them? And you said that was German. And so I don't know or Austrian culture, I would just love to hear more about that. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would say very quickly, I'd say in middle school, I started getting closer to English because English was the language my mom spoke. And I'm close to both my parents, but I'd say I had more deep conversations with my mom. So I developed this deeper link to English. My church was in English. You know, it's it's the language that you have a lot of experiences that mean a lot to you in. Mm-hmm. I forced my friends to speak in English <laughs> because also like the YouTube videos we were watching, the shows on TV were yeah. better yeah. in English. Yeah. So we kind of all started to switch to English. And I also really just wanted to probably subconsciously keep that safe space of church and home in Vienna. I did start to disassociate from Vienna. I didn't feel at home in Vienna because I was going from this international environment at school that was predominantly French, but as I said, pretty international with people from around the world, to home, which was its own bubble. Anyone who knows the term TCK, like you have your own culture within your home. And then going to church was my other place I went, which was extremely diverse. We had almost 80 countries represented and the operating language was English. So I went from all these different bubbles within my environment that were all not Austrian. And my interaction with my home country was very minimal. On a day-to-day, like I would interact at the bakery, at the grocery store. Right. You know, those were the interactions I had in German. So I started to get a lot less emotionally attached. And I think I had a longing to leave Austria because of that. I didn't really form an attachment. English became like my favorite language. French was always like the the business language or the, Mm. you know, school was in that language. And it was kind of forced upon me, even though I love French and, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Now I watch movies in French almost (laughs) exclusively. But at the time, it wasn't my favorite language at all. 
so yeah, I definitely would say I, I had preferences mm. in my culture, and that was English. So my question to that would be, like, now that you're a senior, you're graduating college in the States, has that feeling about Vienna slash Austria slash home changed? Mm. And do you feel the sense of cultural identity to Austria? And is that stronger than what it was? Absolutely, 100%. I think coming to the States was really important for me and just as a person. But I realized in being in the States, and I, I made this realization consciously a couple months ago only, that I'm European. <laughs> I am <Really>? from Austria. <laughs> so <laughs> my culture, my way of operating is European, and I think it, did, it didn't hit me because the culture shock is so subtle. Whereas I think if you're going to very different places culturally, it's not as subtle. But yeah, by the end of college, you know, everyone... I think has some degree of homesickness and I think it hit pretty hard for me. I miss home, I miss Vienna, but I also miss just Europe more broadly. I explored what I had to explore in some sense, identity-wise, and I've come to the conclusion that I am all three. I think I'm a lot more connected to my Austrian culture now mm. that I've been apart from it for four years than I was when I left. I think it's interesting how you need to step away from the usual one in order to really appreciate it back you know and yeah. later and so Absolutely. so like, like my question is that you told us a lot about the Austrian side and you know you went to French school and then you know you were born in Vienna but you're also half Ethiopian mm -hmm. and so in the family you know did you ever get to experience that side of the culture in your family and yeah. um, how associated were you with the Ethiopian side that's a good question my mom is fully Ethiopian, but she left Ethiopia at age 18 to come to the States. And so a lot of her experience more recently is marked by her experience in the States in her formational years. A lot of the culture she communicated to me was a blend of Ethiopian and American culture or her like her version. version of that. <laughs> so she's not like technically a TCK, but she did form her own culture. And so that's what was communicated to me. But she's very close with her family back home. And, you know, I grew up with long phone calls on the on the fixed line mm. and trying to decipher Amharic which I don't speak well, but I can, I know a couple words, so I know generally what the conversation is about. And I did get to go one Easter, which was an amazing experience <laughs> that I really, really loved. Another thing is in our church, we had an Ethiopian service. So from time to time, we would go to that. And it's a totally different way of doing church than like the Western way. Mm. And when I was younger, I didn't appreciate it as much. It's longer. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't understand the language. But as I grew up, it was such an authentic way to worship. And I think when you're in a different context, you appreciate the realness of the yeah. worship better than when you're in a routine of like a mm -hmm. worship sermon, closing prayer. And so as I grew up, I really, really enjoyed that environment. The other connection I have is the food, which is arguably the <laughs> best food in the world. <laughs> so I really love Ethiopian food and I wish I knew how to cook it. But mm. yeah, that's my connection, I'd say. Wow. What do they do differently in the Ethiopian church? In this service? Like, that's different from Western culture. Yeah. It's not structured in the same way, I would say. Or at least it doesn't feel like it's structured in the same way. First of all, you get there at 9. It doesn't start until 10.30. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's praying or preparing food. So you just sit there, and most of the time the elders are the matriarchs, kind of. It's not a matriarchal society, but mm. women, I think, through my experience and through my family, 
the women were very strong. And so my experience is that they would pray before service. There's some really godly men too. Mm -hmm. Then worship starts slowly. There's no like formal start to it. Like someone will start playing the piano. I can't speak for this being all of Ethiopian services. Mm -hmm. This is just what specifically I experienced. It'll, It'll start informally. Not everyone's in the room yet. Some people are still preparing food. Some people are still praying. (laughs) And they'll start. And by, like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes in, Mm -hmm. everyone's there. And Ethiopian music, it just touches my heartstrings in a different way. So I really encourage you guys to look it up if (laughs) you have time afterwards. And it just it feels so real the way they cry out to God. It's a lot less polished. Not, Not to say it's not well prepared or not well done, but... I think we often put on a mask in, in mm. Western churches that I don't see as much there. And then you'll have a service. We had sometimes we had guest speakers come, and I don't know how people feel about this, but some said that they were prophets, so they would like give people words. And it's a lot more of a everyone's involved in the service mm. vibe instead of like someone's up there preaching mm. and, and yeah. it, like there's less of a disconnect between the audience and the speaker and then you enjoy a meal together and everyone every sunday yeah wow Wow. no matter how big the church is (laughs) so this congregation was pretty small it was probably i'd say 50 to 80 people i don't know about every sunday because i didn't go consistently i went sporadically so Mm -hmm. we might have gone on special sundays but you do like spend time eating together it's just a very different pace that I think is so refreshing. How diverse is it in Austria, especially in the Ethiopian community? Like, is there a good number of demographics that, you know, are mm-hmm. there? I would say there is a strong Ethiopian community, but it, it's not a big one. So there are Ethiopians in Vienna. They're not by any means the majority or even the majority within the minority. Austria is a pretty homogeneously white country. Yeah. So most, yeah, most people are of European descent. And then the primary minority group is probably Turkish or Middle Eastern. Yeah. There's not a lot of Africans compared to the States or any I'd say even France or Belgium, it's a lot more Middle Eastern heavy. Mm. Yeah. So there is an Ethiopian community, but I think it's pretty strong because it's so small. Got it. So everybody knows each other. I didn't. I definitely didn't. But (laughs) I'm sure they they, did. I'm sure there was. Yeah. 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 I wasn't super plugged into it at Mm. all. Would you ever go to Ethiopia? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I've, that's another part. I've grown more connected to my Ethiopian family because the, the relative that lives closest to me in the States is, is my mom's sister, and she's obviously Ethiopian, and she's very connected with her family back home. So being around her and also just growing up, I think you kind of have a curiosity about where you're from yeah. uh, generationally. So I, I, I'm a lot more curious about my grandmother and my grandfather and how they impacted my mom my sister and why why my mom is the way she is and mm-hmm. a lot of those questions are answered when I when I get to know my grandmother a little better so I think I've I've gotten a lot closer to the Ethiopian side also and so I really want to go visit her and my aunt's there and my uncle's there and just experience the culture yes but mostly just family there that I haven't really grown up close to yeah and so speaking of like the states and America and all those things. What has your experience been like being a European in America? Like, tell us about 
your culture shocks? What are some major things that you've had to adjust to? I'd say that my adjusting to American culture was very gradual, and it wasn't like a as I said, an immediate culture shock. But one thing that I noticed early on is as I moved into my dorm and I had people around me that were from other parts of the U.S., they were like, oh, how do you find, how do you find the Boston area? And I would say, like, people are so nice. <laughs> and I had this, this girl from upstate New York, and her mom just looked at me and was flabbergasted. She was like, this area? <laughs> um, she was like, people are so rude and cold. And, um, I think part of it is the Gordon bubble. Yeah. Mm. But even outside that, I, I mean, adjusting, getting a bank account, all that, people have been so nice, welcoming, um, helpful in, in the Boston area <laughs> compared to what I'm used to, yeah. that, um, that's one of my, that's probably one of my favorite parts, um, of adjusting here, and, and people are a lot more approachable, and <laughs> it's just easier to talk to people, I think, strangers. Interesting, because that, I don't know if that was weird to you in the first place, because, Hannah's Hannah's European, um, <laughs> very European. And when I when I first I, I had to encounter Hannah because we were ISO leaders, um, international student, international yeah student leader, part of organization that we were into. Um, yeah, I just had a hard time approaching Hannah to just even talk to because like now there you was lead this, a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. It's like she was it's very crazy. stoic, very cold, um, all that. No, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just being very honest here. <laughs> and I don't know if that was like true, you know, for every European, but like, but you saying that, like, oh yeah, like people are so nice here, you know, mm -hmm. they're approachable and all that. And you being able to be on the receiving end of that, mm -hmm. was that like really weird? At first. Um. It wasn't super weird overall because it's kind of what I expected and it's kind of part of the reason I came. Like I really, that was part of the reason mm -hmm. I was getting distance with Vienna and didn't want to be there is because I kind of didn't like that cold culture anymore. Especially in times when you're figuring out your life and you're trying to build a life, you're trying to go to school, like university, you're trying to get a, an apartment. Kind of not having people be helpful mm -hmm. at that time is not great, mm -hmm. but... Here, you have all of these structures to support you, and people are just so oriented towards helping you <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's customer service, right? It like, is, yeah. it is, it really is. And I think that it's not all of Europe, though, because mm -hmm. if you look at, like, Spain yeah. or... Southern countries. Southern, yeah, Southern Italy, it's yeah. not the case. But I think the Central European, Little Eastern European <laughs> area, that's very much the yeah, case. Yeah, don't even, like, get me wrong, yeah. Even, like, Northern... France, like yeah. Paris, mm. that's very much the culture. Yeah, don't get me wrong. She's yeah, they're nice people. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> no, two years later. Two <laughs> years later. Yeah. yeah um. Now we're nice here. People. Yeah. But you know, one they're of the genuine, reasons they're real. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. And one of the reasons why I, at mm. least in my experience, Eastern European culture is kind of comes across as very cold uh, and kind of like very opposite of like. Warm cultures, they're not very friendly. That's because of the history that they've had in that type of country. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a lot of people conquering other people's countries, yeah. whether that was through uh, communism, whether that was through uh, World War II, did a number mm -hmm. on Eastern Europe, or yeah. like 
Um, Even Austria. Austro-Hungarian yeah. Empire. Yeah. That Sorry thing about was that. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, honestly, that just plays a lot into their uh, history. And so, generally, Eastern Europeans have a very deep sense of mistrust to people that they don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, they also tend to be very honest and direct um, and cold in, like, the first encounter, mm-hmm. I would say. But I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. One of my favorite parts that I really appreciate about Eastern European culture is once you cross that line of acquaintance to friendship. Mm. Th- that's it. You're in. You you're in. You're yeah. in. Yeah. 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 And you have a very genuine relationship, lots of loyalty, very, very honest. Um, and even like my friends who are Czech, like I don't consistently talk to them, but I don't have to do that. Yeah. Because I know that my relationship with them is yeah. set. Yeah. I feel the same way. I have friendships in Austria I don't worry about at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Um, they're, we're going to be friends for life. Mm-hmm. And I've, <laughs> this is remind me to reply to one of my friends. <laughs> the last time I talked to them was like months ago. So I agree. I think the climate also makes a difference. Just thinking about Vienna, most of the time I think about it, people are huddled up in coats. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have that opportunity of standing around and just talking. Like if you talk, if you think about Italian, like little streets, there's all of these like outdoor bars and outdoor patios where people congregate and just like meet and, and have this like social ambience. Yeah. Um, that only happens for like two months in, in Vienna, wow. maybe three or four. And so you have to be invited to someone's home yeah. to hang out. Yeah. And so that, that makes a difference, I think. Yeah. And I would say that they show their expression in different ways, too. Mm. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe they come across as, like, emotionless when they first meet you. But um, that's because they don't know you and they don't trust you. You kind of have <laughs> yeah. to, like, right. prove to yeah. them that you are worthy of their trust. Yeah. Which also, is, yeah. I think words of affirmation are not a big thing. Like, yeah. growing up for my dad... He would he would always say the saying. He's very he's very affirming, but he grew up with the saying of I'm trying to translate it. In English it would be no reproach is encouragement enough. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's yeah, kind of no, like you're mental. right. Yeah. That's yeah. If you don't get screamed at, you're doing something right, uh-huh. you know? So and and here it's very much like you're it's doing a great different. job. Yeah. Got it. Great job. Every meeting, just like <laughs> so we're doing great. <laughs> and then you go from Starting there. Starting off yeah. Yeah. I think there are pros and cons to, to both. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, definitely. Sure. You're also very put together as well in terms of like, you know, that's, I, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Is that what it is? That's, I think that's the, that's the vibe I've, I've been told I give off. And I'm shaking my head because <laughs> I don't feel put together at all. But I've been told that. There's just this expectation when you leave the house. Yeah. You're put together. Mm-hmm. You're, you have all your things together. No, leaving the house in sweatpants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm shaking my head because I've, I've gotten that stereotype a lot. And I just, I don't know how to make people know that this is just my <laughs> culture. It's yeah, not, I'm not trying to show that I'm in any way put and, together. Yeah, and not that America is not put together, but I feel mm. like it's just different. And I feel like Europe, you know, especially Vienna, I've been to Vienna and like Vienna has a standard, <laughs> like, mm. like you cannot, mm-hmm. you cannot go outside without yeah. looking yeah. presentable. There's yeah. this like expectation that by you like dressing yourself well, you are respecting yourself and other people. Mm. Yes. So like Absolutely. if you show up to something and you look like you just rolled out of bed, that's disrespectful to the yeah. people that mm-hmm. you're meeting. Yeah. And so it's a way of 
showing respect and I also feel like it's very centered to their strong sense of like presentation and self-identity mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. projecting this like confident but very cold persona mm-hmm. um, that's helpful in some areas mm-hmm. and not yeah. as much in others yeah no I agree with everything you said that's also how I used to think about it. Like the way you present yourself is kind of correlated to how much you respect yourself. Now yeah. I understand that in the states that's not the culture. You think of major <laughs> artists. You look. You think of um, you know different settings in the U.S. and that's not true. But that's very much the mindset I grew up mm-hmm. with. Inadvertently, this has never been said openly. And I'm still trying to learn that now. And I think, Hannah, you're giving me language for that now, actually. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize some of this, so thank you. Yeah. I mean, I realize that every time I go back. Like, I don't know. I feel like, you're going to laugh at this. I feel affirmed when I, like, step out onto, like, European streets because I'm like, okay, this is, like, I feel like I understand this so much better yeah. than yeah. Yeah. when it comes to, you know. Oh, you can tell. Whatever. You can totally tell. You can also yeah. tell on your flight. Like, on the flight from Boston to Frankfurt, it'll be all types of people um, mm. dress all types of way. Yep. From Frankfurt to Vienna, <laughs> it's business it's people. Like, you would, <laughs> you know, I have no idea if they're business people or not, but it seems like everyone's, like, going to a business meeting. People fly yeah. in suits all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's really funny. That's good to know. Yeah, tips and tricks for you have travels, guys. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Put yeah. together a good wardrobe. <laughs> but I think it's changing now, um, just with globalization and, mm-hmm. and mm. the trends that we're seeing and post-COVID, um, young people are much more relaxed. And yeah. But even even when you're wearing streetwear, like, you're clearly, it's, that's your style. Like, you're mm-hmm. wearing streetwear. It's not, oh, I threw on something, you know. So there's still thought put into how you look. Mm-hmm. Is it like that in Indian culture at all, or is it wildly what different? Is? I don't know, like the the presentation. Oh um, man, you know, like that. That's interesting. The Korean side, there is like you mentioned, it's very similar to European culture in terms of like being very presentable to especially guests and people that you don't know. Like you need to look presentable because you have to respect them um, because of hierarchy. But then Indian culture, we don't care. <laughs> people don't care about outfits. It's just purely relationship and fellowship mm-hmm. that really matters and so if you come home barefoot i don't they just welcome you in that's just so because nice. we're very hospital people mm-hmm. so hey, that's so interesting so. for me to hear about because i feel like or at least my experience living in eastern europe like was super cool but at the same time i feel like i was cut off from any type of warm culture mm-hmm. no. like the closest warm mm-hmm. culture i got was italy yeah or spain in like maybe serbia <laughs> so yeah like, yeah southern eastern europe is it's, is it's warmer. a bit warmer <laughs> yeah but when you compare it to like indian culture yeah. or um african culture or south american like it's so radically different mm-hmm. and so every time i feel like i encounter someone who's from like warmer culture i'm kind of like overwhelmed just for a second yeah but it's actually really fun i mm. do think I th- do you think the U- U.S. has part of that? Yeah, and for sure. I think mm. that's part of the reason I was drawn here because mm-hmm. I'm like, I just want to be feel welcomed. I just want to yeah. feel like I belong. <laughs> if it's fake or not, I don't care. <laughs> just let me feel like I belong. And now that was like four years ago. Now I'm like, mm. please just be real with me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Now you're senior year. You know, you have a semester left mm-hmm. until you graduate. What are some of the things that, you know, you're looking forward to? I'm really excited to be in an environment that's not like a Christian bubble. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed this formational time within 
Gordon, and I loved being able to deepen my faith and talk about it with roommates and all the time. But um, I'm really excited to be in an environment where Christianity is not a given, yeah. because yeah. I think that will actually challenge me in my faith. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that. I'm excited to start my career. I'm excited to work in healthcare and um, go step-by-step step towards my, my dreams and goals. But I'm also really excited to hopefully live near or in a city again because I really miss um, the liveliness of a city and mm. and just living in the hustle and bustle of a city. Yeah, I'm super grateful that we got to talk to you, you know, because I feel like your story is so, so cool. And I love, mm. like, I love listening to it and relating to it. You're, like, yes. one of the only people that I can fully yes. relate to at Gordon when it comes to, like, Eastern European culture I'm and all so excited we got to, <laughs> like, actually talk and, and I got to express things that were just totally understood. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't felt understood this deeply for like four years so. oh <laughs> my you. goodness you guys <laughs> no but honestly I feel like one of my favorite things that you talk about and what you said is that you had to leave your home country to love it and mm -hmm. I think that's something yeah. that a lot that kind of goes unspoken among yeah. third culture kids yeah. at least it did for me and so I hope this is encouraging to anyone who is listening and feels disconnected from their home culture and feels guilty mm -hmm. about feeling disconnected yeah. from that Absolutely. because yeah. that's a big thing and so yeah it's okay to leave yeah it's okay to leave and then that actually like helps you appreciate the things that you didn't realize were really there mm -hmm. and then when you go back into your home culture you actually appreciate it more than you did yeah. when you oh, first yeah. lived yeah. there and you have a better a deeper appreciation for it and Absolutely. understand better why you love it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice or encouragement that you would give to any other third culture kids or international students that would be listening to this? I would say probably trust the process. That mm. sounds so cliche, but I would say be okay with feeling what you're feeling in every moment. I didn't get homesick until about three months in, and it hit me like a wave. And then it was like a week and I was back to normal and I didn't want to go home. Um, and it took me, it took me a long time to get this appreciation for home. And I still don't feel balanced in like what I, what I think is home and what I think it, where I feel comfortable and all those things. And I'd say that's okay. Um, be okay with, with living in each moment and feeling what you're feeling. You don't have to pretend and you don't have to, there's no expectation for, the stages that you're supposed to go through when you leave or when you adapt to an, a new culture. It looks different for everyone, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Thank cool. you so much. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, guys. Thank this you so been much. so fun. So <laughs> this, thank yeah, you. It's been our privilege to have you and uh, hear your story, and I hope this blesses many other people as well. So um, wish you good luck. You know, thank you. Thank yeah. you. All the best to you guys. Yeah. I love this. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Outcast. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and on your social media. Outcast is now streaming on all major podcast platforms. You can also find us on our Instagram at ISS underscore Outcast. Thanks for listening.